Week one, how do you identify? There are many issues, controversies, and debates in our world. Not just of the world, but even in the midst of the church. But God has given us solutions. God's solutions to man's problems. This is a letter in Romans that the Apostle Paul wrote to guess who? The church, but guess to who? Man, y'all already failing Bible School 101. This ain't hard, y'all, to say a trick question. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to who? The Romans. He wrote, he wrote, he wrote to the, the church to the Romans, right? He was writing to the church in Rome, the Roman church. And the importance and the impact of this letter was monumental. It was quite significant. There's a story, I want to talk about how significant this was. There's a story of a man who led a life of sin and rebellion against God. And he felt so empty and defeated. But he would never make a decision for Jesus. Have you ever felt empty and defeated? He felt empty, he felt defeated, but he would never make a decision for Jesus. So one day, he was sitting around feeling empty, feeling defeated. He was sitting around some children, he heard them playing a game. Well, in this game, the kids would shout, take up and read, take up and read. And as he was sitting there with these kids, hearing them shout, take up and read, he looked down and he saw a scroll. So he picked up the scroll and he started to read it. And on the scroll, there was a passage from Romans 13 that said not to be given into enviness and drunkenness and all these things. And as he started to read the scroll, through the power of reading Romans 13 on the scroll, he gave his life to Jesus. You know this man today by his name, St. Augustine. There's another story of a monk back in the day. He was lecturing to a bunch of people of God, or so they thought. Lecturing on Psalms. But inside he was in complete turmoil. He was reading a psalm in a passage in Psalm 31, verse 1, that said, in thy righteousness deliver me. And the passage confused him because he came up in a system where he thought, how can righteousness deliver me? Isn't righteousness supposed to, like, condemn me to hell? Isn't righteousness supposed to tell me how bad I am and it's supposed to show me how much I need punishment for my sin? So he started to ponder on this psalm that he was preaching as a monk in his lecture. And when he, he started reading it, he came across a passage in Romans 1.17. And when he began to understand the meaning of the scripture, a reformation began on his heart. And he started to write um, some ideas about where the church had some things wrong. And it started to change everything. This man's name was Martin Luther. There's another story, a failed minister who went to a Bible study. Someone was reading Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And while he heard the word from Romans, he started to trust in Christ, and he accepted Jesus and really began to understand who he was that night in London, England. This man's name was John Wesley. Started the Methodist movement. There was a very popular man who said this, when anyone understands this epistle, epistle meaning a letter and a series of letters from the apostles, he said, when anyone understands this letter 
understands this passage, it opens an understanding of the entire scripture. That man's name was John Calvin. You might have heard me refer to Calvinism. You have all these theologians who have a great understanding when they open up the book of Romans. This is an incredible letter. This is a, a book of life, and this letter has so much truth in it. Having said that, many theologians and many people and many denominations have twisted and distorted the truth to create their own doctrine. I think about theologians such as John Calvin and John Wesley and all these great men of God, and I think that they would be quite frankly sick to their stomach to see what people would have done with their revelation today. Because I don't believe John Wesley or John Calvin or any of the great men of God that we talk about would have wanted the church to create a system off of one revelation. I think and I know that their heart would have been Take the revelation I got and grow in your walk and have more revelations of who he is. Not create a system off of one idea I had because I'm not Jesus. I'm a man after Jesus, right? Many theologians have twisted some ideas to make their own doctrine. Many denominations have twisted ideas to make their own ideas. And the apostle Peter even warned against this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 16, Peter talks about this. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Let's stop right there. Make every effort to live peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. Big issue in the church. We love to throw around that let's live peaceful lives. But what we do with peaceful lives is just like the church in Laodicea last week. We love to compromise to live peacefully. We let people live in their own ideas of righteousness or right standing. We keep our mouths shut because we want to keep the peace. When Jesus himself says, I am a rock of offense, and at my very name it causes people to get offended when you throw my name around. But we have created this false theology of let's just be as peaceful as we can. No, live peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. Live peacefully, but make sure that in your peaceful living, you are pure and blameless in his sight. Don't mess up your belief system just not to offend others' belief systems that are not correct. In other words, don't make negotiations with the enemy just because you don't want to have an issue with your neighbor. Okay? If this can come up a little bit, I'm... <clears throat> feel like I'm having the shit. I want it to be loud. I want their ears to bleed. Okay. 
Verse 15. And remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Now watch this. Verse 16. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments, this is referring to the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of the scripture. This will result in their destruction. Peter says, when you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, some of his letters are very hard to understand. And those who are ignorant to the understanding of these letters, they are going to twist it, not because they're seeking truth, they're going to twist the letters to make truth align with their truth. They're going to make these letters work for them. That's why you have these different belief systems that put a twist on any little word and phrasing you can find throughout Romans to create a view. That's why you have a Methodist view, a Baptist view, a Calvinist view a cessationist view. You have all these different views because we put a twist on letters because we don't understand it. I was ordained under a, a, a very popular guy for a long time, and I remember what he said. He said when his father got a, a doctrine in ministry, from a very popular school of theology around Greenville, South Carolina, when they got to Corinthians, when it talked about spiritual gifts, the guy teaching the course for a PhD in ministry said, let's just skip this chapter. Because we don't want to try to dive into the understanding of things that people have to actually put work for. Right? So in this series, we're going to define what the undisputable truth is. A truth that is what, what, what it's meant to be, not twisted, and a truth that is not to appease our lack of appetite. Because when we have a lack of appetite, we try to twist the truth to make it fit our need. Well, I don't want to twist the truth to make it fit our need. I want to find truth that's going to say, if I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, I want to figure out what part of my mind needs to be renewed. I want to figure out what parts of me still need to die. I want to figure out, is there more of me than I need to crucify? I don't want to go to a church that's going to appease my needs. If all you do is appease my needs, you're probably not biblical. Because let me tell you, I messed up. And when you're building churches that are with thousands of people meeting needs, you're probably doing something very wrong. Just being real. Because when Jesus preached truth, thousands walked away. 
and then they crucified him. And when the apostles started building the church, they got killed. But in the modern name, when we build church, we get on magazines, we get on billboards, and we get tons of money. Something wrong. Okay, so let's get into Romans. Y'all okay? Let's, I'm just, just getting started. Solutions. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle, sent out to preach his good news. When Paul wrote this letter, he had been ministering for over 20 years on his way to Jerusalem. Now remember, the goal for Paul was that he always wanted to get to one place, Rome. Paul was, when he was Saul, when he was operating in his pharisaical mindset, he knew all about government. He was with the bigwigs. He was killing Christians. When he became Paul, when he was reborn into his calling, they didn't know who the heck this Paul guy was. So, so he had to go through a whole transformation and a whole 20-year journey to get back to the place that he knew. 20 years as Paul, the whole goal was to get to Rome. So Paul, it's been 20 years, he's on his way to Rome, and he stops in Corinth for about three months. Most believe that in Corinth is when he wrote this letter to the Romans. The reason is because he stopped in Corinth because his next stop on the way to Rome was going to be a city you've probably never heard of, Jerusalem. Well, on his way to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit warned him about something. He said, if you go to Jerusalem, let this be a warning. You're going to get bound up. You're going to be given the leaders in Jerusalem. They're going to turn you over to Gentiles. And it's not going to be a good thing. And the people in Corinth were like, dude, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. You need to stay here. You need to get protected. We don't want you, we want, we want to make sure that you don't go into any hard times. We want to make sure that you don't go into any warfare. We need to protect you. We don't want you to go into the into, into the place of hardship. You know, because God's call doesn't ever want you to go into hard times. That is the most messed up gospel taught in America. God's call is peaceful and easy. That is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, the one thing in Scripture, it says, when you come unto a life with him, it gets harder and there will be suffering. That's the marketing of Jesus. Come unto me, it's going to get hard. But the gospel of the church, if you want a life of ease and no frustration, come to the altar. And it sells. Paul got a warning from the Holy Spirit. I'm not, don't go, but I'm warning you. When you get to Jerusalem, you're going to get bound up. You're going to get tossed in jail. I'm letting you know it's going to happen. His people are like, Paul, don't go. It's going to get hard. And Paul looked at him, and this is the response he gave him. Look at Acts 21, 13. He said, why all this weeping? Why y'all crying? 
You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. I'm looking for that kind of church in America. I don't care what the government's trying to impose on us. I don't care what threat there might be in our next step. If it means jail or it means death, I'm still going to go. I don't care what they say that I can or can't do. I'm sticking to the word. And if they threaten jail time, bring it. If they threaten locking the doors, bring it. If they threaten closing on my lease, bring it. If they threaten killing me, bring it. I'm sick and tired of churches playing it safe because they don't want to be martyrs unto Christ. We need to be the church who's willing to risk it all. I think that it is absolutely ridiculous and Jesus is embarrassed of a church who has closed its doors to stay safe when he says, I never asked you to play it safe. You hypocritical believers. Okay. So in this, Paul knew I might never get to Rome. And I'm going to risk it. So in that idea he might never got, get to Rome, he decided to write a letter. Guess what the letter was to? The Romans. Well, because of this, the letter to the Romans was quite different than any other letter. Because the rest of the letters that Paul wrote were all about correcting problems in the church. Because he planted the churches, he was correcting issues in the church, correcting problems in the church, making sure the churches was in order. He was like, well, y'all got some things out of order. Because remember, back in the day, they didn't set up elders as accountability boards. Can we talk about that for a minute? This is how the American church does today. We expect that our pastor's going to fall, so let's set up a board of elders to keep him accountable when he does something wrong. That's not why elders were put in the church. The elders were, this is when elders were installed. When the apostle planted a work, and the presence of God was so thick that there was no more work to do, he left and said, let me appoint elders to oversee what God's doing. Can you imagine a day where the work is so thick where you no longer have to do programming and sermons? The presence of God is so thick that when people walk into a room, everything needed to happen just flows out of presence. And when that becomes sustainable, the person who, or the man or the people that God has said plant the work, God says your work is done, install elders, move on and plant another work. That's the goal. But no. <laughs> but no one's seen it like that, right? Because we're trying to figure we're trying to figure out why the Bible don't work. Paul's planted these other churches; they're doing well, and then he writes letters. Guys, y'all seen a decrease in the move? Well, this is why you got this out of order. You got this out of order. Y'all lifting up this. Y'all. Li he's he's correcting. But Rome, he he might not never get to Rome. But he knows that his call was to give a word to Rome because he didn't plant a church there, but a church started. So he said, I might never get there, but my voice needs to get there, so I'm going to write a letter. And Paul starts this letter off because he says, 
They might not, might not ever get me, but they need to get the theology that I started the other churches with. And church, if you're going to be a true church, you need to get the theology. Thank God we have this letter in Romans. So he writes this letter so that they hear the voice of what the church and the point of church should be. And he starts the whole letter off by, by identifying himself. He says, I'm Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. The first thing he does, he does not flaunt his title. He does not come in saying, I'm the apostle. Serve me. I'm the pastor. He doesn't come off saying that. The first thing he does to identify himself is say what? I am a slave of Christ Jesus. Slave coming from the Greek word doulos, meaning a servant with complete devotion without objection. Before Paul starts to identify his call of duty as an apostle, first he identifies himself as a bondservant, a slave to Christ Jesus. And too many people get wrapped up in their call and forget who they're bonded to as a servant without objection. We are first called to be slaves to Christ Jesus without objection. But people get it mixed up and they forget that they're slaves to Christ and they try to make Christ a slave to their calling. They try to start moves in churches and they try to make Jesus work for their call. They try to make God fit into their idea of how this works for me. And they figure out the raw truth of God doesn't build numbers, so let's just mold this a little bit. Let me bend this a little bit. Let me bring some things of the world in a little bit so we can redeem them and use them to get the people in the church. Can I get super transparent and real? That's probably going to offend some of you. This is what the church has done. We love God and we love his ways. But let's bring in pagan practices to attract people and redeem it by putting a cross on it. And we call Easter Resurrection Sunday. We take a pagan idea of an Easter egg and we try to redeem it by calling it Resurrection Sunday. When nothing about Easter is any different than any other time we meet. We celebrate, it, we celebrate a resurrected life in Christ every day. Really, we're giving glory to a pagan God with an Easter egg and a bunny and stuff that you probably don't even know where the holiday came out of because we think it's a great way to get people to come into the church and get them saved with a great Easter egg hunt for kids to get jacked up on candy, giving glory to a God in a pagan religion, and you think it's good because it's a great way to celebrate Jesus in church. And we do it with Easter, we do it with Halloween, we do it with Christmas, and we create a culture called CEOs of church. Christmas, Christmas, and Easter only members. Tell me I'm wrong. 
And I'm not trying to condemn people that necessarily celebrate those holidays. I know that people in this house are going to celebrate those holidays on your own accord. But as a corporate gathering, I have to and we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard because I want the fingerprint of this house to be different and look different than the world. We have to look different. We are to be aliens and strangers unto this world. We have to have a different culture, a different DNA. When people look at us, there should be no confusion in how we distinguish ourselves. And we have got to stop marrying the culture of heaven to the culture of fallen idols. And that means some people will never come here. I'm okay with that. Jesus was too. That's why only 12 walked with him. And when the rest saw his power, he said, they said, we want to follow you. Well, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. You know, I don't have a place to lay my head. Come follow me. And no one followed him. I can't find one to follow me. And the 12 that are, Peter don't know how to stop talking. He's cutting the ears off. Judas is going to betray me. The rest of them, they're going to be hiding when I die. And the only one that's going to listen to a thing I say and believe is a woman that most of the church is going to say women can't do ministry for the next 400 years. That, that's the culture we've created. You know, Jesus says recognize feasts in the Jewish culture and no white Christian in America knows what any feasts are. Because you think it's just a Jewish thing. Well, let me remind you, what was, never mind, okay. <laughs> I mean, Jesus was a Jew. I came for them, and now I'm including the Gentiles. What are Gentiles? People who ain't Jewish. Guess what you are? You're, you're a what? A Gentile. Is this, if we're going to get into some theology, let's break some things open. Let's, let's, let's get uncomfortable. Okay? All right, well, hope I see you next week. So, <laughs> Paul says, and let's get back because this, this, this relates. Paul says, you need to realize I'm a slave to Christ. That means whatever he wants, I'm submitting to that. Whatever he asks, that's, when I'm, that's where I'm going. He told me that my next assignment was jail. That's where I'm going. He told me to give up my holidays. That's where I'm going. He told me to fast. That's what I'm going to do. He told me to, 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 to go into the ends of the earth and sacrifice my life. I'll go there. I'll quote Jesus in Luke 9.23. Look at what he says. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You have to take up your cross daily. That means putting to death anything that is of you, just like Jesus was put to death on a cross, and follow his ways, sacrifice your ways, and embrace his. Without what? Objection. 
And objection is not just a statement saying no. Objection is throwing caution to the wind, living how you want, and never taking an, a, an intentional lifestyle of every day, I will sacrifice everything that I want and say, Jesus, what would you have? And oftentimes, it hurts to sacrifice what you're naturally drawn to. Let's talk about taking up your cross for a second. Jesus suffered on that cross, right? Well, let's talk about taking up your cross daily. Because when you put to death some things that you want on the cross, you go through a time of suffering. Let's get more real. Stay pure until marriage. Well, that sounds good in church. But when you're getting hot and heavy and you got to stay pure, you suffer. Some of y'all smiling and embarrassed. <laughs> Shout amen. When you're having a horrible day and you're depressed and you want to punch a wall and the thing that's going to take the depression off is a few glasses of your favorite drink, it's suffering to say, I will not. Because you have to suffer through the reality of your depression. When you get offended and the Bible says, the way you handle offense is to go to the person who offended you and don't gossip, but the first thing you want to do is talk to someone else about it, you are automatically out of line with the solution to what God said to do. What does God say? When you're offended, don't talk to anyone else except the person you're offended to. No one does that. Because if you have to do that, it's suffering. Because it's a lot easier, I just got to get it out. Take up your cross. You are going to have to suffer through some stuff. If I suffered for you, you're going to have to suffer for me. Follow my ways. Put to death your strategies. Put to death your solutions and embrace my solutions. <laughs> okay. I don't know if y'all quiet because this is just overly convicting or if y'all thinking I've gone straight cray cray. Your flesh is drawn to sin. And the only way to control those desires is to get your mind in line with Christ. 1 Peter 4.1 says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. How do you cease from sin? You've got to get control of your flesh, and it's going to, go, it's going to be through a time of suffering. Well, how do I get that in line? You've got to have the same mind as Christ to get control of your fleshly desire. 
Your mindset has to get in line. If he suffered for me, I'll suffer for him in denying myself. And you may suffer at first, but the outcome is a resurrected mindset of life-giving thoughts and the ways and the mind of Christ telling your flesh and your desires to get in line. Sorry. So first, I am a slave to Christ. This is not about me. Why did Paul say that? Because I'm going to say some things in the next 16 chapters that you, church in Rome, ain't going to like. And before you open up what I'm going to say, make sure you know the lens that I'm saying it through. It makes me uncomfortable. But I'm not saying this because I like it. I'm saying this because I'm his slave. I'm saying this because I'm his servant. And I'm saying it without objection. I don't like the fact that Kyle Garrison has to get up in a church that I'm trying to build and tell young families that we're not going to do pagan stuff like Christmas and Easter. Trust me. That stinks. Because the first thing that young families do is think, well, I'm going to go to a church that does. That's not exactly easy for me. But I am not a slave to your needs. And I am not a slave to how do I grow a church in the idea of the world. I am a slave to what do you want? And if it means throwing this away and embracing that, yes. And I'll be honest with you. I've got stuff that I love that I have to deny. Growing up, my favorite holiday was Halloween. Come to find out, my mother, biological mother, sitting in the back right there. Y'all can blame her for this. When she was pregnant with me, she, she used to read Stephen King novels. Isn't that right? And come to find out, growing up, I loved it. I loved horror movies. I loved that stuff. But the more and more I'm understanding the, the, the word, even though one of my favorite things to do is just to get freaked out by a messed up thriller. I can't watch it anymore. And that may be stupid to you, but it's suffering for me. Because that's my entertainment. That's my dessert. But if I find my joy in the Lord, you understand where I'm, where I'm going. When people don't take up the cross of their mind, they start to come up with their own theologies that satisfy their way instead of sacrificing a mindset. Right? And then Paul says, second, I'm called to be an apostle sent out to preach the good news. His second identifier is his calling. His second identifier, an apostle. And people love to flaunt the title without embracing a life of a slave. 
and when you get the order right, you realize that in the true operation of your calling, you are serving the ways of God, and you become a servant of people. Look at Mark 9, 35. He, Jesus, sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Not come serve me because look at my title. What you're called to do is simply the focus of how you become a servant of all. What you're called to do is simply the focus of how you become a servant of all. An apostle has a focus in their serving, but has to be willing to serve however and whenever. We did a whole study in Acts. The last chapter of Acts, Paul is on a ship, and the Lord is telling him, y'all about to shipwreck. And Paul's telling the people, y'all, this ship's about to go down. You don't know what you're talking about. We ain't about to go down. We ain't about to shipwreck. Hush your mouth. Keep rowing. Keep doing your thing. Paul, we about to shipwreck. And Paul's and literally in the Bible. I told y'all. And then they said, well, what do we do? Well, Paul said, well, God says this. Paul leads them. They survive the shipwreck. All of them survive. Not one dies and they get on an island. When they get on the island, you would think Paul would be like, all right, I just saved y'all's lives. When y'all ain't been listening to me for the past whatever amount of time, serve me. I'm the apostle. He don't do that. You know what he starts doing? They cold. They just been in a storm, in a shipwreck. They've been swimming in cold waters. They get on an island. What do you think they want to get? So they build a what? A fire. Now, this is what the typical leader, and I, I did this last night. I didn't plan it, but it, it worked really well. If I can get the chair. This is what the typical leader does in the Church of America. I just saved all y'all. Build me a fire. I need my water. Let me get my armor bearer. Bring me my Bible because it's too heavy to put on the pulpit. I need someone to do this. I need someone to do that. I need someone to serve me. I've been serving y'all all day. I need, I, I need a men's group. Have 10 minutes of Bible study so y'all can cut the grass at the church. I ain't got time for this. I've got to go study the word. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then you listen to the word and you're like, why, why couldn't he help? <laughs> Paul didn't do that. You know what he was doing in the scripture? He was picking up sticks, getting his hands dirty, putting sticks in the fire, building the fire. Because he said, before I flunk my title, I recognize that I'm a slave to Christ. And my God told me that I am to be a servant of all. That same fire, a snake came out, bit Paul in the hand. He threw it back in the fire, shook it off. And people were like, dang, he's God. <laughs> and then he had to, no, I'm not God. And then he, him and Luke healed the people on the island. 
Maybe if we got more obsessed with how we could be a servant of all, we would be more apt to be able as people to shake things off so easily into the fire. Instead of flaunting our title, serve me. Look at what I am. Well, I'm Pastor Kyle. Y'all need to be doing this from No. I, I am a servant to all. He didn't identify himself. I am a servant. And consequently, because he spent this whole time serving, serving the needs of the people, building the fire, healing the people, three months later, they got him a ship, and guess where he went to? Rome. He could have said, I saved y'all from a shipwreck. Y'all need to get me a ship, and I'm going to sit my happy behind right here until y'all get me a ship. And y'all know I didn't want to say behind. And he would have been sitting there, where's my ship? I saved y'all. Build me a ship. Build me a ship. We've been in this building program 25 years. Build a ship. Build a ship. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about. No, he started serving. Three months later, because he was serving them, they met his need. He got a ship, and it says in the last two verses of Acts, in Acts 28, 30, and 31, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus, and no one tried to stop him. Favor from a life of what? Servanthood. Because he didn't go around identifying himself, look at what I can do and look at my title. First, I'm a servant of Christ. First, I'm a slave to Jesus. Look at Romans 1.1 again in the New King James Version. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the what? Gospel of God. Called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. An apostle. And he says, I have a message for y'all that is different than anything you've probably heard. And I know that message is different because I was separated from the life of a Pharisee that I was in, like most of you, I was once separated to the service of religion, and now I'm separated to this gospel of God. And let me just make sure that we're all clear, because this is going to break some mindsets too. The gospel of God is not all about the gospel of Jesus. And it just makes me sick to my stomach, to be honest with you. When I get around these pastors and all they talk about is our goal is the gospel of Jesus. And I get in trouble because my response is, well, I'm sorry that your church is getting a third of the gospel. What? Do, what? What do you mean a third of the gospel? Well, there's like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're all about the gospel of Jesus, but you're leaving that too. Well, I mean, you know, he's, it's, it's Jesus. You know, it's three in one. Like, well, everything Jesus said, I come about my father's business and I couldn't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. So if all you're doing is preaching the gospel of Jesus, it's not a complete gospel. But every altar call in typical churches, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus is the center for sure. 
but it is incomplete to just talk about Jesus. And many people would say that that is blasphemy, but I assure you it is not. And Paul even talks about it in these next few verses of Romans. But we skip over it. And before I get into that, I want to make sure that we define what the gospel is. The gospel is not just about Jesus leading us to salvation. That is not the entirety of the gospel. It is an entry point. He is the door. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and the only way you can enter is through me. And when you enter through me, you will do greater things than I have done. I am the way into more. So what is the complete gospel? I wrote this down, and this can only be by way of God, because when I read it, I was like, where did that come from? Listen to this. This is the gospel. The Father redeemed us through Jesus so we can be made right to be one with his spirit so that the world will be governed through his sons and daughters to see his kingdom reign now until Jesus returns for full restoration, which is calling us to be fully redeemed rulers bonded to the Father without objection. I'm going to say it again. Y'all can go, listen, y'all can go listen on, I tell y'all what, I'll post this on the online family group today. The Father redeemed us through Jesus so we can be made right to be one with the Spirit. So that the world will be governed through his sons and daughters to see his kingdom reign now until Jesus returns for full restoration. Which is calling us to be fully redeemed rulers bonded to the Father without objection. And how do you become a fully redeemed ruler? The only way that I can rule every part of my life is to be a bonded slave to his ways. That means I have to sacrifice my thinking and my likes and my desires and say if it's not of him, it will not be a part of this temple. No matter how much I love it, no matter if I grew up with it, no matter if it's in my culture, no matter if it's in my ethnicity, no matter if it's how I grew up, how you grew up and what your worldly culture is should never define you. I hear that all the time. Well, this is just how I grew up. This is my people. I don't care about your people. I, I care about the fact that we are one in Christ. And that we are to be unified in one culture and not to exonerate a manly culture that Christ says, this is funky, let's redeem it. What is the issue in the United States? Y'all offended, y'all offended, y'all offended, y'all offended, y'all offended, y'all offended. But we got to make sure that their culture is okay, their culture is okay, their culture is okay, their culture is okay, their culture is okay. Their, and this is the church. We got to be culturally relevant to them, culturally relevant to them, 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 but we believe in truth.
The gospel in full spectrum is, our, is identifying ourselves in him and learning how to live in all aspects of our lives to give him glory. And Paul explains this concept. Look in verse 2. That whole thing was just verse 1. We're going to be in Romans a while. Verse 2. God promised this good news, the gospel, long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This gospel is not new. It's not a feel-good story that anyone came up with. See, in Paul's world, that this was a time when people, all they wanted was new, new teaching, new doctrines, new, 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 new. That don't sound like 2021, does it? Everyone wants new. We need new ways of thinking. Back in the old day, you could have Dr. Seuss books, right? Back in the old day, you could have Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, right? But now that's offensive because I'm so jacked up in my identity. Think about man's solutions to man's problems. This whole series is called Solutions, right? Think about what man does. A little boy doesn't grow up with a father. So he's got an issue not understanding the love of a man. So instead of running into the arms of the heavenly father, he tries to replace the lack of a father with the, with the inappropriate love of another man. <laughs> You've got a, a boy that never grew up with a father, never experienced the love of a man, and instead of running into the arms of a loving father, he tries to find the absence of the love of a man by loving a man. And we say that he's simply identifying himself to solve a problem. God's solutions says you never experience the love of a man. The solution is not to be gay. The solution is not to turn your identity as a man on a man. The solution is find true love that you never experienced in a God that has always been here and in a family of believers who will walk you through what you have never been walked through. Right? Right? And what the world is doing is we're trying, they're trying, think about their heart for a second. They're trying to find solutions to problems. Well, they just want to be loved. And that's, that, is, that is the solution to everything. They just want to be loved. We'll let people feel included. That is, that is a legitimate problem, wrong solution. The only way to be bold about the right solution is to get bold about the wrong ones and say, you're walking in your ways and we've got to start walking in his and they don't change. We're trying new, 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 new. And Paul's like, this thing that I'm bringing you, this isn't some new idea. This has been here since the beginning of time. Jesus isn't a new idea. Jesus didn't show up as a baby in a manger. Jesus was here in Genesis chapter 1. And the word became flesh. 
So in Genesis chapter 1, Jesus existed as the spoken word out of the Father's mouth. When the Father said, it is good, that was the existence of Jesus. And the Father said, my word has to correct a problem, so I'm going to get my word to become flesh, and my word, my solution, is going to be sacrificed to resurrect the dead issue. Does this make sense? Everyone's so hungry for new, 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 new. No, what we need is a hungry for the complete gospel of God that he's been showing us in these scriptures since the prophets, since the beginning of time, but we've missed it and we've twisted it. And then he says, look at verses three and four. The good news, the gospel is about the son, his son, in his earthly life. That backs up the notion he had a life before he was what? On the earth. In his earthly life, he was born in the King David's family line. He was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says the gospel is about the Son. He had an earthly life. He's always been. And he says, that's the one I was a slave to. He was proven to be the Son of God when the Holy Spirit raised him up from the dead. Y'all saw that. Remember, he's speaking to Romans. He's saying, y'all are in a city where y'all got gods on every corner. Just like Savannah. Y'all want to get really real and really controversial? Everyone's fighting over monuments. Half of the monuments are gods. Oh, yeah, that's the... <laughs> Look how quiet y'all got. I'm not saying that I'm in support of them and taking down in any of that. But we get more offended at taking them down because that's our history than what can be redeemed out of anything. We're getting offended by the wrong stuff, y'all. We're getting caught up in the wrong fight. We're getting caught up in man-made stuff. You think God's pleased with how Savannah's been built? You think God's pleased that we are on the foundations of a town that's been built on pirate trades, witchcraft, sorcery with Haitians, and all this stuff? You think God's okay that we have built monuments about that? Get over yourself and get reborn and redeemed in what the gospel should be. Redeem this town and stop trying to preserve it. It's my history. It's my culture. Well, let that be your history. This is mine. Some of y'all don't like me right now. Just like that, he said, Romans, this is my Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. All y'all got all these guys and they ain't done nothing. Mine, he was raised up. And y'all saw it, but y'all still deny it. And he rebuilt the temple in three days. And you know how he rebuilt it? In the people. 
not only did he save us, but he rebuilt his temple in the form of man and not buildings. Hmm. And in rebuilding his temple with man, look at verse 5. Through Christ, is this okay? God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God's done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. <clears throat> it says the gospel is not just about Jesus saving me. In saving us and rebuilding the temple, the temple has a purpose. That we have an authority and a privilege through the very thing that we saw Jesus do. We have the right to carry out his will as his temple being rebuilt. And we identify as slaves to that cause. As slaves to walk in an authority of carrying out our divine assignments from the Father. So the gospel, so that his kingdom would be spread and supersede our culture. For a heavenly culture that would fix all of these problems that we create through our ideals and our culture and our society. And if we're slaves to him, then we will realize this is for everyone. Because what do they say? It's not just about Jews anymore. He says he's including everyone, even the Gentiles. He says this is for all of us. He made us right. We're included in this temple building. You see, the reason he made that thing very specific, because the Jews are still waiting for a physical temple to be rebuilt. It's been rebuilt, but they're looking for a physical monument. It's been rebuilt. Maybe they would start to see it if we would actually start to be it. Everyone puts so much blame on everyone not seeing God. Maybe they're not seeing God because we're not acting as the true temple of revelation. What, what if we walk in such a degree? What if we walk in such an identity of him? There will be no question of his existence. And this gospel is not some interesting theory. It's not a philosophy. It's real. But are you a slave to obeying it? That's the key. That's the whole crux of the beginning of the letter. Everyone asks, well, how, how come Paul, you know, is healing people and Peter's walking around and people falling out in his shadow and you know, people did all this and they were slaves. Not my will. His will. How do you identify? Are you really a slave? Do you really wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, what is my day about? Or do you have your plan? Do you really get up every day and think, I'm going to take up my cross? I'm going to sacrifice everything that I want for him. I'm going to sacrifice my response so that he will get glory in them seeing how I react to what they've done to me. The 
The last two verses, Paul makes sure they're getting it. Look at verse 6 and 7. And you're included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's like, Romans, you guys are included. Make no mistake about it. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You see, Paul didn't start this church. He said, before I speak to you about grace and peace and before I preach and before I do anything, before I talk to you about all this stuff that you need to get right, before I talk to you about how to bring cultures together, Jews and Gentiles, before I talk to you about how, what's the rest of chapter one, before I talk to you about homosexuality, before I talk to you about all these issues in Rome, make sure you know that I want to identify myself just as you should identify yourself as a slave. To him. Before you can ever change your mindset, you've got to identify yourself as a slave to him so that you can be ready for a change in your mindset. I'm a slave to his cause, and I embrace the sacrifice of my freedoms for a lifestyle of true freedom. I think one of the biggest issues in the American church is we love to lift up the idea of American freedom. I love that we're free. But the fact of the matter is, we love to exalt it. For me, I don't pride myself that I'm free. What I want to do is sacrifice my freedom. Because I know that there's a more true freedom in my sacrifice for his. And I'll close with what the scriptures say about it. With Galatians 5, verse 13. You've been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Use your freedom to do what? Serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you, how do you identify yourself? I'm a slave to him. I'm called to serve everyone, not just Christians, everyone. Talking about taking up your cross. This is no longer about how does this benefit me. This is no longer about how does this work for my plans. This is simply about I identify myself as a bondservant, a slave to Jesus. When you get that in line, the whole changing of mindsets and serving assignments becomes so much more of a flow because you know what your identity is. You know what God's solution is to all this issue is in America? People are slaves to themselves. I get to choose. It's about my freedom. Well, you need to identify yourself as a slave. A believer should never exonerate your freedom above your slavery. Because in being a slave to him is the truest amount of freedom. 
When you start to identify yourself like that, we start to see this whole gospel in a totally different lens. And it says, you'll have the solutions to all of your needs. In me, you have no need. So be a servant to me, and I'll have your solutions. Amen.